0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, August 20th, 2021. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tammanini.
1: And I'm Arts and Culture editor Ashley Steves.
0: Ashley, so much stuff happening in the podcast feed yeah. over the weekend. Assuming you first get the edit done on Friday at some <laughs> I'm point. I'm a
1: professional, so it's happening, yes. Right. I, I just didn't <laughs> want to assume, you know,
0: make an ass out of you.
1: Yeah, um, exactly.
0: The second half of our. Patreon only review roundtable for Schmigadoon will be hitting the feed in place of an actual episode of Schmigadoon. You, Grace, and I all get into the second half of the season of the Apple TV Plus streaming yeah. musical comedy drama ish thing. Lots more positive <laughs> um, than the first one, definitely. Uh, that we did a few weeks ago. Um, we heaped tons and tons of praise on one Ariana Debose. Of course, uh, always. We coined new nicknames for the central couple played by Cecily Strong yes. and Keegan-Michael Key. Schmig and Dune, Obviously. or no, Schmigga and Shmiga Dune, and is Dune. that what it was? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And um, yeah, got into a lot of fun. Had a really, a good really one. fun time it's with that. a very good one, Yeah. yeah. So that'll be coming out on Friday. And then on Saturday, the latest episode of Jan Simpson's All the Drama podcast will be released on Patreon. It focuses on uh, the Heidi Chronicles, which was, of course, the Pulitzer Prize winner for drama in 1989. That will only be in the Patreon feed until... Saturday September 4th when it'll hit the regular feed and then on this week on Broadway they will be uh, dropping the episode of course first on patreon before it hits the airwaves in our regular feed on Sunday at 4 pm but they have the phenomenal writer Douglas Carter Bean uh, on the show so a lot of great stuff that you can only get here on Broadway radio make sure to head over to patreon.com/broadway radio to get all of it and to hear it all first. All right, Ashley, I'm tired. Um, I'm so, (laughs) so
1: tired. The theater
0: news this week has been a lot, it's been exhausting. But earlier this week, Grace and I discussed accusations made against next to normal Tony winner Alice Ripley, mm-hmm. in which a social media user claimed that she was emotionally manipulated by Ripley beginning when she was 12 years old. As we said on Wednesday's episode, when uh, Ripley has denied these accusations via page six uh, and some uncomfortable uh, social media posts before taking things down. Um, Most of these interactions happened roughly a decade ago when Ripley was starring in Next to Normal on Broadway and on tour, but some of them in um, a new article that we're going to talk about here in a second were as recent as 2017. That article we're going to talk about was released on Thursday by the Daily Beast, in which they published similar claims by four women who say that via social media and in-person meetings, Ripley would use these women, many of them teenage girls at the time, not all of them, but many of them, to boost her own ego, openly encouraging her youngest fans to develop crushes uh, and obsessions with her. Uh, often leaving the women with mental health issues when Ripley did not reciprocate the feelings. Now, as has been our rule for years here on Broadway Radio, we aren't going to get into the specific details of the alleged mm-hmm. abuse. But of course, we will have a link to the Daily Beast's reporting. Um, but. Important for context. Nearly all of the women said that they viewed Ripley as a surrogate mother because they either had troubled home lives of their own or came out as queer um, and found um, that Ripley was willing uh, to give them the support that they were not getting elsewhere. Um, I think that's an important factor in a lot of these discussions. Um The problems then came nothing wrong with that, I suppose. Uh, But the problems came when the actress either purposely took the relationship in other directions or allowed the underage girls to do so. That is when it became an issue. But to be clear, the only thing that even approaches anything near physical um, intimacy is that one of the women, who was 18 at the time, said that Ripley, unannounced, kissed her on the mouth. The woman said she was shocked and, quote, it wasn't like she started making out with me, but it was enough for me to go, this person who I'd really interpreted in a familial context might not be that person. There were no other accusations of anything in this article that I think, I mean, I don't know all of the intricate workings of New York state law. Um, it didn't seem to be anything illegal, but Ashley, as you and I discussed uh, mm-hmm. earlier on Thursday, that is not the only threshold uh, for something sure. that is I- irresponsible. Many of the young women claim that as they began to have less time to dedicate to following and communicating with Ripley, whether that was through school, friends or family, Ripley starting to ignore them altogether, which became um, the impetus for a lot of mental health and emotional issues. Now, Ashley, as I read the article, and one of the women alludes to this, the one thing that I kept thinking about was all of the documentaries and series that we have covered for my day job over at True Crime Obsessed. <laughs> plug. Yeah, about cults. Well, as far as I know, Ripley never tried to get these women to move to a remote farm away from their families sure. and only sleep three hours a night and get identical haircuts and wear matching jumpsuits. But a lot of the other qualities of cult building seem to be here overwhelming the victims with praise at first so that they become dependent on the cult leader for all of their validation, and once they are officially obsessed, giving and then taking away that affection and attention as a way to get the followers increasingly focused on doing whatever the idol wants, that's page one of the cult handbook. Then Ripley would reportedly pit fans against each other to artificially create rivalries. These types of manufactured competitions for the leaders affection are very common in early stage cults Mm -hmm. Uh, again i don't think that ripley was purposely trying to form a cult with herself as the leader but i do think that what is being reported sounds a lot like the manipulative tactics that cult leaders have used to attract and control their members in the past where i can even look we all have known for years that ripley has a reputation if i'm being as generous as humanly possible for being incredibly eccentric um and and a little strange so if she wants to say that i was just trying to reach out to them and then they took it overboard okay sure we don't have really any way to know that but the increasing number of people that you are seeing in reported pieces like this and on social media that hit that say the exact same things it does lead me down the path of like oh this feels like a cult.
1: So there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot. Yeah. The first thing I want to say is that you used a very important keyword and that was manipulative and talking uh as far as you don't think that she was trying to create this cult around her. I absolutely agree. I think she was in a position where she was receiving praise, she was receiving attention. It was a great ego boost for her. Uh totally. I'm not going to um, diagnose whatever, you know, yeah. mental... That would be irresponsible. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I'm not going to diagnose any of that, but there are both in my own experiences and experiences I I've seen all around me from groomers uh, that mimic a lot of things that I've seen. I, it's really disheartening to see this. I've actually, as I told you in text, uh, I have seen another one of uh, a community that I was part of, kind of have, or you know, not even kind of, and I won't name the name of the. The company had their own uh, Problems with grooming In the past year of someone who was very Prominent in the community who Was also preying On teens a lot of Queer girls usually with mental illnesses That turned sexual which obviously This you know so far Hasn't happened here allegedly And then they were ignored And then I have dealt With my own stuff in the Past in this very similar regard. so there's a lot of things here that you look at and as you said we're not going to go into every individual accusation that's in this article um which you can read there's definitely threads on uh Twitter that I've seen there are a lot of comments on that TikTok or there had been I don't know if they've been shut off by now but <laughs> there's, like I said, there's a lot Here I, I I personally, I'm having a very hard Time kind of separating that As someone who has been sure. through this Regardless of the situation though, regardless of how far these relationships went, regardless of how far this grooming went, which it, if these allegations are true, that is extremely what it is, blatantly, th- this is grooming. I think, and someone already said it on Twitter, and I can't remember who, and I retweeted them, but I think we need to have a various, very serious conversation in this community, uh, in any community for that matter that's, you know, fan and star, as far as uh, those relationships, those kind of parasocial relationships and how stars, how actors are associating and talking with their fans, either in person or offline through social media. I think it's a very important conversation that needs to be had and one that I've seen happen a lot over the past year, as I said, at another company and community. I think we've seen uh, different shades in the, commu- the theater community throughout several decades now, some worse than other. The first thing that comes to mind is like James Barbour. I think we have different shades as far as how this has unraveled in terms of how stars and actors are talking with people and how that very quickly gets out of hand because of that ego boost, as you said. Yeah,
0: I think a lot of times that we assume the term grooming means that it's grooming no, for something yeah. sexual. But like we said, a lot of what the women said in the Daily Beast article talked about feeding Ripley's ego and you can be grooming towards that purpose as well. Especially uh, when you
1: are, you know, your ego is being fed and you are reciprocating in some way, whether it's just attention matched in some way and then to cut off that attention when you are no longer getting what you want whether again be that same level of attention whether it be something worse that is absolutely grooming it doesn't have to be sexual it doesn't have to be romantic it can simply be that kind of parasocial relationship in which it's Clearly one sided, um, but it doesn't necessarily come across to the victim in that way until later on.
0: And that's that's the issue. Like, you know, if you read some of the comments um in the article from the four women who spoke out, at, at, if you read them in isolation, you think. Oh, okay. This other person that you're talking about wanted to end the relationship or, you know, whatever that relationship was. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. They have every right to cut off communication if that's what they want. When you put it into the bigger picture of everything that led up to that and the fact that a lot of people are telling the exact same story, as you said, yeah. it, it boils down to a picture of somebody with, with power, um, in a relationship, um, only serving Uh, the relationship for their own personal satisfaction and that's the issue. That's the
1: thing. Uh, It's as you said it's you know all the stories are the same here. It is absolutely the same story. It is a pattern Um, no no matter what the extent of those relationships were there's a very clear pattern here that unraveled in terms of how allegedly to keep ourselves (laughs) in legal grounds Alice Ripley was treating her fans who saw her as some, you know, motherly figure in their lives, some maternal figure in their lives, which is natural as, you know, a, a younger girl, a younger queer person to latch onto somebody that brings you comfort that you don't have in your life. And to take advantage yeah. of that is... Again, manipulative, it's egregious, and we need to have those conversations as we go forward about that kind of interaction, interaction, because it is manipulative. Yeah. All right, Ashley, yeah.
0: let's move on to something that I uh, th- I think is going to be more exciting. You are probably going to hate. Cool. And that is the fact <laughs> that on Oh, I hate on it. Wednesday- I mean, the
1: first half of the show is exciting, and I hate it as well. So let's just stay in yeah. the theme, I guess. All
0: right. Well, Wednesday night, Andrew Lloyd Webber's latest musical, Cinderella, officially opened in the West End at the uh, Gillian Lynn Theater. And despite... Every conceivable expectation... Apparently, it's really good. Mm. I had no—well, you don't count. Your opinion (laughs) bears no weight when it comes to Andrew Lloyd Webber. But let me read through some of these reviews real quick. Matt Wolf, writing for The New York Times, said, quote, The long-awaited show from the 73-year-old industry veteran turns out to have been worth the wait. Cinderella is a big, colorful production painted in deliberately broad brushstrokes by the director Lawrence Connor, that turns a time-honored story somewhat On its head. The result may not be the theatrical equivalent of the heroine's cut glass slipper, but it nonetheless looks set for a sturdy West End run. Best of all, Cinderella is fun. Uh, Marianka Swain, writing for The Telegraph, said, quote, This is Lord Lloyd Webber's first new show since 2015's School of Rock. If there's any justice, Cinderella will match its lengthy run, allowing millions of us to go to the ball. And what a ball it is. Easily one of Lloyd Webber's most entertaining musicals, a family-friendly extravaganza with larger-than-life characters that make up for our lost pantomime season of 2020. And then finally, uh, Chris Wygand, writing for The Guardian, said, quote, The original story and book by Emerald Fennell have heart and a torrent of barbed wit, exposing the faulty morals and traditional fairy tales without scrimping on glittering tr- trimmings. David Zippel's crystalline lyrics are attuned to Fennell's dialogue, cheekily satirical yet wistful and uplifting, too. Lord Lloyd Webber's I love the British journalist having to call him Lord Lloyd Webber uh, but God. Lord Lloyd Webber's richly enjoyable orchestrations range from grand waltzes, uh courtly processionals and marches to deftly pastiched and deeply felt romantic uh, romanticism Power balladry, a splash of chanson, and, and rollicking guitar riffs. Bewitching melodies around, some refrains are practically iridescent, revealing new tones from scene to scene. Of course, Carrie Hope Flesher plays um the titular Cinderella. Um, actually, I have to admit, mm-hmm. I have mostly stayed away from all of the year worth of previews of this thing. Because I just sure. thought, yeah. man, this is going to be generic and boring, but... Basically, every critic has loved it.
1: Hey, good for him. <laughs> Real happy for him after all of, okay. all of that, all of that absolute mess that happened around it. Um, I've read exactly one other review of it that was much more mixed. Um, but that doesn't mean anything. I mean, these seem pretty ravey. And honestly, I, at this point, with any production opening, I'm kind of hoping for raves, regardless of who's writing that's them. That's very big of you. Thank that's you, thank you. you very much. I thought it was very big of me too, <laughs> but especially with but especially with everything that's gone around with this show and all the starts and stops and yeah. the campaigning and, for it, yeah. And Emerald Fennel and David Zippel, and, yeah, like, sure, I'll take that. If, if
0: you, <laughs> yeah, if you don't love ALW, I don't. like I don't know anybody who doesn't love Emerald Fennel, true, uh, and David Zippel for that matter, true, too. true, true. All right, real quick. Let's talk about our Patreon. Remind you what we have coming up this weekend. We have Schmigadoon Part 2 of our review roundtable. Uh, Jan Simpson's uh, All the Drama episode for the Heidi Chronicles. And then you can early on get This Week on Broadway with the great Douglas Carter Bean. We have also started to map out our schedule for when we are going to start doing reviews for things uh, oh, yeah. like, like um, Dear Evan Hansen mm-hmm. uh, that the come from Away. Uh, stage capture. Mm-hmm. And what was the other one Everybody's that I forgot? Everybody's oh, Jamie,
1: Jamie Everybody, baby. Yeah, Jamie. Yeah.
0: So those are all going to be coming up in September. Hop over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio and get in on that so you can hear it all as soon as it's done. All right, Ashley, speaking of things that I know you're going to hate, Ooh, yesterday it was reported that Broadway director Bartlett Shear is launching SRO Productions alongside playwright J.T. Rogers and stage manager Canberra Overend. They, those three all work together on Oslo. They will be producing entertainment for TV, film, and stage. That part I don't think you're going to hate. I'm okay with this that. This part I think you might. Some productions that are already in the works, according to Deadline, include, quote, a large musical musical project with producer Mark Platt. And ready, a stage musical from To Kill a Mockingbird playwright, Aaron Sorkin. There you go. A
1: musical? Oh,
0: God. A musical? A musical. Musical. Uh, Aaron Sorkin was a musical theater major in college. So just throwing that out there. Love that for all of us. Moving on, earlier this week, the great theater for a new audience over in Brooklyn announced its 2021-2022 season beginning on October 30th. They will be picking back up with a New York premiere of Will Eno's Knit, which was a reimagined production of Ibsen's Pierre Gynt*, which was Ooh. shut down during the, the, the pandemic, of course. Then, uh, beginning on February 5th, the legendary John Douglas Thompson will take on the role of Shylock in a new production of The Merchant of Venice. And then rounding out the season will be the first New York revival of Alice Childress's wedding band, Colon, A Love-Hate Story in Black and White. It was originally um, produced by the Public Theater back in 1972. Um, Next up, if you are a tennis fan as well as a Broadway fan, the (laughs) the USTA announced that on opening night of the 2021 U.S. Open at Arthur Ashe Stadium on Monday, August 30th, um, Aaron Tveit and Natalie Mendoza as well as other cast members from Broadway's Moulin Rouge will be the entertainment for the opening night ceremonies.
1: Wow, is that the first time that we've gotten a performance by a lead actor before she technically goes on uh, stage? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that would be pretty there fun. Yeah, go. gotta, uh, gotta go see that just to get yeah, essentially opening to see night. see who she is. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. Um, last but... Certainly not least. Um, the Orchard Theater in Dartford, UK, is set to open its doors later this month with a production of the Rocky Horror Show. In an attempt to purchase souvenir frankenfurter wigs for audience members, inspired by, of course, uh, the Tim Curry-created original characters. they ordered these wigs, but instead, they got 52 cans oh, of Oh, my God. Otherwise known oh as Frankenfurters. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, That's uh, the, the best theater... story
1: I've ever heard.
0: Yeah. The uh, theater worker, Kay Hadley, who received the uh, delivery, said, quote, I opened the box and I was completely confused. We checked to make sure no one in the venue had ordered them and we couldn't believe the mistake. We are still checking to see what happened. That's... So there's a social media video about the whole thing. Um I think it's absolutely hilarious and it really kind of fits like at some point you should just give everyone in the audience a hot dog and let them throw them at at dr (laughs) frankenfurter because that would be fitting with the, the whole Rocky Horror aesthetic. I
1: like it. Just make sure you take them out of the cans first, I guess. Right, right. right. <laughs> Don't throw the cans. Throw the individual hot dogs. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's an incredible story. I love that. I love it. That's like Just, my perfect Venn diagram of yeah. Yeah. Packaged, <laughs> meat, packaged meats yes. in theater, clearly. <laughs> your, your, your
0: foodie obsessive uh, circle on the Venn yeah. diagram, I doubt, involves a lot of hot dogs, but
1: you know. who knows. Anyway they're calling it (laughs) franken
0: gate which is hysterical Uh, to me yes all right anybody anyway everybody thank you so much for listening to today on broadway follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at broadway radio and you can find me on twitter and instagram at bww Matt Ashley where can people find you
1: you can find me on twitter and instagram at no this is Ashley and of course you can find me Ashley
0: and Grace in our patreon feed talking about Schmigadoon later today so make sure you head over to patreon.com slash broadway radio and get signed up now have a wonderful weekend everybody and we will be back to talk to you on Monday (laughs)